Hi there, welcome to episode 18 of Sparks of Madness. We are back after a really long break, which is due to nothing other than my lockdown laziness. Um, so today's guest is my good friend Anthony Williams, who's a comedian and promoter from Derbyshire, uh, over Belper Way. And we talk at length about uh, imposter syndrome and the resultant anxiety uh, that he suffers, has suffered in his day job, and how he's managed to really not suffer that too much in the comedy world and how it helps him. Um, so we, we talk for a while about that and also what it's been like in lockdown and the return imminently, we hope, this summer of live comedy. So have a listen, welcome back, and uh, please let us know what you think. Thanks very much. been on screen for a little while have you got a countdown that's stuck it did stick but now it's gone up i might edit that out i might leave it in just to show how much of a fucking amateur i am so <laughs> welcome to um sparks of madness after a long break um which was largely only due to my own laziness um so um i'm joined for episode 18 by my good friend mr anthony williams hi anthony hello graham how are you my friend i'm good mate i am sat on my bed next to a pile of clean washing, um, having just had a minor family crisis downstairs with the announcement from Boris um, of schools reopening in two weeks. Yeah. So how, was, how have yours reacted to and that? kids both panicking. <laughs> so it's uh, actually relatively calm, but all worried about stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. It, I think people underestimate what a big what a big deal it is for kids. Not, mm. not just on an educational background. I mean, I, I kind of work in... A related field it's not about the education it's about the social stuff it's about seeing your yeah. mates and you know so they feel it just as much if not more than we do i think so yeah, yeah. i've got Plus, i've got one that's dreading with me for a year well yeah i mean there is that as well <laughs> <laughs> i've got one that's dreading going back and one that can't wait so <laughs> yeah I understand. Yeah, mine, mine are probably about the same, actually. My my eldest uh, is, she's 14, and she sort of wants to go back. She's worried about testing, mm-hmm. um, if she's going to have to stick cotton buds up her nose and whatever. Um, but she generally wants to get back, and then my 11-year-old boy really wants to get back because he's missing all sorts of, you know, he's missing the learning in class, but he's missing his mates and he's yeah. fo- playing football and all yeah, that. So yeah. um, it's, uh, but it's a strange time. Um, I'm glad because it means I get the house to myself during the week, as for as long as I can um, <laughs> wangle working from home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Well, so how's lockdown treated you? I think like most people, mate, it's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? So I think when it first hit, it was it was all novel, wasn't it? It was all different. It was a bit, mm. it, it was a bit otherworldly. So you know, I remember, mm. I remember like going out and doing the clap on a Thursday night, and it all felt a bit blitz spirit, and we're in this together. And then you'd you'd kind of sit outside at the back when it when the weather started being nice, and it was just totally silent, and it was all oh, it's like back to nature. Um, and then we had the false mm. dawn in the summer, and and that felt like we were nearly back to normal so i think it's hit harder this time i think it's felt yeah felt much more uh, what's the almost like a punishment this time you know it 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 doesn't feel the same and and as usual in this country people have turned on each other instead of the people that are causing the shit so you know that's just the way it is i guess yeah i'd agree with that i i actually it's weird actually because throughout the the pandemic you know my sort of 
political leanings and general attitude towards the Tory government have been, as usual, quite harsh. But then actually, in since the turn of the year, I suppose, or for the last few weeks, somehow they've got the vaccination programme right, I think. Yeah. It's going quickly. And, going and all well. credit to them. And I think that, yeah, and I think that the, the current plan, I was expecting they might just give in to all the backbench weirdos saying, i uh, just switch everything back on next month or whatever. Um, but I do think they've probably just about got it right in terms of you know the, a, a slow and steady phased re- return to everything. So it's really weird because I'm almost in a position of saying, well done, Boris. But you know, if you throw enough darts at the board blindfolded, you're going to hit a bullseye eventually. Uh, and that's kind absolutely, of mate. the way I look at him, really, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, but and anyway, they're, they're this isn't a political podcast. That's, that is very true. But it is a mental health podcast. And you know, it's having a massive effect, I think, on everybody, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, it has. It's it's certainly. Um, I know that I found it really hard at first, just from the point of view of lacking routine, lacking the the contact with other people. Um, by nature, quite a gregarious person, and and just you know, I hate. I don't. I'm not a fan of Zoom phone phone calls or any of that. I'm not a big fan of. You know, I'd rather text people and speak to them on the phone quite often. Um, yeah. So all of that I'm, stuff is you know, know you a mean. bit weird for me. Whereas being physically present with people is such a tonic that we haven't had for a year it's weird yeah and i guess i mean i I also do a job that i can work from home so my last year has been almost entirely on microsoft teams like literally six seven you know even eight or nine hours a day on teams and and boy is that taxing really is hard work Mm. but i but i hate phone calls so i'd rather that for me it's face to face teams yeah definitely not phone (laughs) yeah i'm exactly the same which is weird because i I speak on the phone for a job so yeah i used (laughs) used to work in a call center (laughs) exactly Uh, i manage a team in one and and quite often have to speak on the phones but if i can do it by email or if i can do it on face to face like you say that's the better way yeah um so let's talk your comedy history i think you're a little bit one of the reasons we're kindred spirits, I think, is we both came to comedy relatively late, I guess. When did you start? Yeah, gigging? so so my first gig was early May 2019, which is not that long ago. And at that stage, mm-hmm. I'd have been, what, 46? Something like that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, it was one of those weird kind of situations. So so this will, look, will all link back at some point. I'm sure someone will psychoanalyze it and tell me exactly why I started doing comedy when I did. But... Um, I started doing comedy about a month after I moved out um, from living with my then wife. So yeah. I was newly single, uh, living on my own, absolutely no clue what to do. Um, and then got chatting to someone who turned out to be a comedian. And as part of that conversation, I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. You know, I think that'd be really good fun. And my day job is I work in learning and development. So I, I never had an issue with standing up in front of people. It was just I didn't yeah. think I had anything funny to say. Um, and what I found out was that, and, and this is still true, is, is for me, is most of my material comes through experiencing something either for the first time or seeing it through a different lens. And yeah. so living as a man in his mid-40s on his own and, you know, just random stuff like 
going into the co-op and buying the stuff with yellow stickers and things like that just suddenly to me um felt interesting and felt like oh, actually i could talk about something here um mm. she encouraged me to give it a go and then as as always the things in my life are i i live my life through serendipity like things just sometimes drop in my lap sometimes they don't um but when the really good things happen it generally happens out of nowhere um and i happened to have a friend who'd written a book and he invited me to his book launch and on the invitation it said bring a talent and i thought sod it i'll do five minutes i'll do five minutes of stand up i'll die on my ass and i'll never ever want to do it again and that'll get it out of my system itch scratched job done and i probably had my, one of my best gigs ever <laughs> my first ever gig was like a <laughs> hundred in the room albeit yes most of them were yeah. people i knew so not the harshest audience um my five minutes ended up being more like eight or nine um and and it went really well and so then i was like eh, okay maybe there's something in this um and then my next gig was at an open mic in nottingham um a tiny tiny little micro pub and uh i went along just to see how it worked because i'd never been to any of this bearing in mind you know like weeks before i didn't know anything about comedy other than what i'd seen on yeah. tv um and so i find myself at this open mic overheard the mc uh who was ian peskett um saying oh we'll probably finish early tonight we've not got that many and suddenly heard myself saying would it, would this be a good place to try and do five minutes? <laughs> and he was there. Wow. Tommy Tomsky was there. A few other people from the sort of regular Nottingham comedy crowd were there. Um, and again, it went really well. And then within what, less than six months later, <laughs> I find myself running a promotions company, putting on gigs and probably gigging like six nights a week. <laughs> so it was it was a bit yeah. of a fast turnaround from I'll never do this again, I'm sure, to when can I do this? Oh my god, it's been nearly two hours since I've been on stage. I need, I need more. <laughs> mm. So here's a question for you then. I suppose this is one I can ask ask you because I do think our backgrounds are quite similar. The only difference is that I'm still married. Um <laughs> I think really everything else feels quite similar. Um what box does stand up performing, not the promotion side? What box does it tick that wasn't being ticked before oh, you did comedy? That's a brilliant question, isn't it? Um, I think there's always been a bit of me that, well, I think there's a couple of things. So um, having kind of been quite reflective over the last couple of years and trying to figure out who I am and, and, mm. and what's important to me, making people happy is really important to me. Um, and I see myself doing that in, in all kinds of ways, like, I'll be ridiculously helpful to my own detriment quite often. So I think there was something about, could I make people happy? That would be nice. Um, I think I think there's an element in every comedian that you just want people to love you, but in a really shallow way. Like, mm. you don't need to know me. You don't need to talk to me. Just give me the impression that you think I'm fantastic, preferably at a distance. I think there's a bit of that. <laughs> That pretty much perfectly sums it up. Yeah, if so I talk about my knob, will you like me? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my act. Yeah, but basically that's it. Can you know? I know I don't know you, but just tell me I'm brilliant, please. <laughs> There's definitely something perfect, there. Yeah. So yeah, so it's those kind of things. Um, I think that's that's what I got out of performing. 
I think I get much, much, much more out of being involved in the circuit, um, having mates do it, being able to support them. Again, it's that helpful thing. I like to be helpful. I like to be useful. So I think I soon realized that as much as I do like performing, and, and who wouldn't, because you do get that ego massage, um, I probably enjoy the backstage stuff more. I love chatting to comedians before and after gigs. I love it when they ask me for my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's why I ended up getting into promoting because I felt like, oh, I can, I can contribute to this and I can make, not only now can I help make the audience happy, but I can make the act happy and I can make the venue happy. Um, and it felt like I had a bigger part to play than just standing on stage for 10 minutes. That's, that mm. probably sounds really wanky, but. <laughs> yeah, well, as you know, I've set up my own promotion stuff up up in my neck of the woods, and I absolutely get what you're saying. Yeah. The um, the sort of the collaboration with venues has been, I mean, during lockdown, I'll tell you, tell you a quick story, actually. my my One of my newest venues um, is a really little place in Halifax. It's mm-hmm. a lovely little bar called Stodford. Yeah, I've been there. Which is attached to a, yeah, it's attached to a brewery. Yes. Um, yeah, I did and, a gig when Callum um, was running one up there. Yeah. Um, and um, the the venue there asked me to set them up a gig. They, they they'd had a change of management. They wanted a different style of night to the one that was previously running and wanted someone else to run it. So um, got in touch with me because they'd seen me perform mm-hmm. and wondered if I ran nights. And I did. And I just started doing – I'd done open run open mic nights, as you know, because you've, you've been mm-hmm. Um But I thought, no, I want to start doing some paid gigs. And I'd done a few charity nights and things like that. Um, anyway, we'd set up – our launch night was going to be April 2020, <laughs> and we'd, we'd sorted, we'd sourced some superb acts. We'd really like put together a great lineup. We'd promoted it well. We'd sold out in a couple of days, and then COVID hit, mm-hmm. and um, I was gutted. And I genuinely thought, if this if this lockdown does last a, a while, and people at the time were saying it could be months and months that's it gone mm. you know, it won't happen and on the night that we were due to launch the first show i am um obviously we couldn't do it and unbeknown you know unexpectedly the the bar which was is also quite a very well it's a very good restaurant mm. well, food wise anyway it's like a foodie place um sent me a, a basically me and the wife a meal for two oh. um just to say we're really sorry we can't launch it tonight we're still going to do this have this on us kind of thing oh, and i was lovely. blown away i hadn't even done anything for them at that yeah point. Um, and it was just, it was just really, really weird. So when you get a, a collaboration like that, and I mean, today, because of the, the announcements from Boris, you know, been talking to them about, right, when they've contacted me, when can we get running again? Yeah. Here's a couple of dates that we'd like to do. Yeah. That feels fantastic because, you, you know, it shows that I've done some gigs for them in between the two lockdowns. Um, and obviously they like where they're getting and there's a camaraderie there and yeah. we're almost, it almost feels like we're colleagues. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And, and I, I got similar vibe with, with the owner of the venue that I run a few gigs for. So he, he owns four pubs and mm. we've run gigs in three of them. Um, mm. And we were saying, you know, we, we, we were running gigs right up to lockdown and then we thought, oh, that's it, game over. Um, and then I get a, an email with a photo of a massive marquee in the car park with a little message that says, what do you think? Can we do something? <laughs> um, mm. And from that, you know, we ended up running basically a season of shows through the summer. You know, we went weekly because it was like, come on, like, we've got hundreds of acts and they're desperate to get on stage. What can we mm. do to help? 
Um, so yeah, so I, I know exactly what you mean, and and it's lovely, isn't it? It, it feels like it nice. you're and you're a helping. chance to give your mates a leg up sometimes. Oh well, yeah, there's you know. nothing nothing better than that. You know, it it, yeah. it made me really really happy that we were able to put on gigs and you know mm. give people an opportunity to warm up. And boy, we had some fabulous acts on over the summer. You know, and it's. Mm. There was there was definitely part of me that's like, oh, am, am I capitalising on this? Is that exploitation? Um, but then a bigger part going, mean. no, it's not because you know I'm I'm doing what I can, you know, and and they don't have to do these gigs, you know. No, exactly. Well, that was it. I mean, when I so I ran a few gigs in sort of September, October around that time before the November lockdown again. So I think I got about four gigs in, um, and you know the budgets weren't huge. Mm because they're small venues in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, some of the some of the quality, the quality of some of the acts, um, you know, even people opening rather than closing yeah. was, it was almost criminal that I was paying them so little. And that sounds, that's all I had to pay them. Yeah. But you just think, but those people wanted stage time. They wanted to keep their hand in. They wanted to earn a little bit of money because the arse had been ripped out of yeah, their, yeah. their, their life, livelihood. So, yeah, you are capitalising a little bit, but not in a cynical or mercenary no, way. No, and, and we weren't profiteering from it. You know, we didn't make exactly. any, we didn't even take any money. Never mind make any money. So, you know, it, yeah, it just it just felt a little bit odd. It was like it's such a shame that the circumstances have led to me having this amazing bill going on mm. in a car park in Belper. You know, it was mm. just... But the good thing odd. is then you'll get a reputation for, for having those acts on. If they enjoyed gigging for you, people talk, you know, acts talk as much as promoters. Yeah, and, 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 and that's the thing. And I think, you know, yeah. part of that wanting to be helpful, wanting to be useful, and that's why I do it, does mean that we push ourselves really hard when we do shows. You know, we if we can, mm. if we can add something, we will. You know, and it doesn't really matter if if you're in a car park in the middle of Derbyshire or if you're you're in a beautiful swanky club. If if we can just put something into the gig that makes it better for the act, we'll do it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and it's fun. So you know, you end up putting an awful lot of effort in for you know twenty people and a dog, but it feels <laughs> it feels worth it. You know, it does. It does, and I miss it. But hopefully, you know. Not too far now. Yeah, now, so. yeah. and, and, and I'm, I don't know about you, I'm feeling really weird about getting back into it. I'm, I'm like mm. kind of apprehensive and excited at the same time. There's there's definitely, I mean, there's part of my psyche that, you know, we, we, we spoke before the show about, you know, I've had imposter syndrome for as long as I can remember. Mm. Um, and it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, this, this will sound... A, like a humble brag, because it is, Um, but B, just how much of my imposter syndrome it is that last week I was speaking at a virtual conference in in learning and development. It's the most prestigious uh, conference on the planet, and I'm still finding myself going, can't believe I've blagged myself into this. Fancy fancy Mm. them booking me. It's the fifth year I've done it in a row, Graham. This look. So, so imposter syndrome. Then, yeah. Explain it to to anyone listening who doesn't either really know what it is or only has a rough idea. What What do you mean by that? So, so this this is the real double edge of it. Is I constantly feel like the slightest little slip up, and I'll be out the door. 
that's that's my that's the kind of anxious side of imposter syndrome that you know um and it and it definitely gets better and worse you know it depends where i'm working who i'm working for what i'm doing but there are certainly times when the name of my boss appearing on my phone will send me into a blind panic mm-hmm. and and i'll pick it up and it'll be like hey how are you everything all right yeah yeah great and i'm like waiting for the oh by the way you're fired you know mm. um and obviously that that doesn't happen um so th- so there's that and and then that manifests itself in in all sorts of weird ways that because you've got that mindset of i'm you know i'm, I'm somehow i'm getting away with it but sooner or later i'm going to get caught um mm. it also means you, you completely um wipe away any kind of positivity as well because your brain tricks you into thinking, yeah, they're only saying something nice because they want to soften the blow. Uh, and it's the weirdest thing. It is the weirdest thing. And, I, and I've seen people, I've coached people that have imposter syndrome and, and talked to them about how to get away from it. Um, but I guess like with most mental things, it's really easy to observe it and see it and be able to help and coach and advise someone else. But when it's you, your brain your brain's too smart. It, it it catches you at every turn. It's like, yeah, but that's them. You want they are they do suffer from imposter syndrome, but you don't. You're just crap. Mm. You know, it's it's the weirdest thing. So that's probably my worst one. Um, and then that tends to trigger anxiety. Um, mm. and my anxiety manifests itself in I procrastinate when I'm anxious, uh, which makes me anxious, which makes me procrastinate. Mm. So it's a really useful cycle of behaviour. <laughs> mm. And and so when you, I mean, obviously you've you've sort of positioned that in terms of your day job, yeah. uh, which clearly you, you're highly accomplished at. When you are embarking on a stand-up career in, you know, your mid forties yeah. after a after a divorce, um, you know, first of all, how do you? How many people have asked you if it was a midlife crisis or suggested it was that and that's what it was? Um, pretty much everybody, question. I think. Right. And I mean, that's a cliche. I don't necessarily think it... I mean, I certainly don't view mine as a midlife crisis. Mine was just a, uh, a challenge that someone sort of threw to me and I thought, right, okay. Yeah. Um, I'll have a go at that. Um, but with people saying that, does that add to your sort of imposter syndrome pot, if you like? or? Mm. Good question. Um, the weird thing is, I don't get it as much in comedy. And that sounds bizarre because I've met more people that are less convinced of their talent in this field than, than anywhere else. Mm. I, I I think I can be more objective, which is really odd. Um, and, and I would say I'm, a, I'm an okay performer. I'm a reasonable writer. I'm a pretty good promoter. That's that's what I would say. Um, and I'm quite comfortable with that as well. You know, I don't have delusions of grandeur in this game. And maybe that's because of, of I know what comes with being well-respected at what you do comes along with. It comes along with a lot of baggage. All that imposter syndrome just builds up and up. And, the, and I guess mm. the better you get as viewed by other people, the more that feels strong. So I'm... I don't feel it as much in comedy. Um, and actually, if someone says that was great, I do take it on board. It's really, really mm. weird. And I and I invite feedback. 
when I've performed. So, well, that's good. Um, and is there a when you get positive feedback? Does that sit with you? Does that does that balance out the scales with any either negative or lack of feedback or a, a gig that doesn't go smoothly? Or yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely not. And again, I'm probably I'm probably unusual in this. I'm not the kind of comedian who's like you know if there's a hundred people in the room and ninety nine laughing, I'm focused on the one. That's yeah. not me at all. Um, I'm like, hey, that seemed to go quite well. Um, I I've had very few Touchwood bad gigs. Um, now that could be either. I'm overly positive <laughs> about it, and <laughs> other people would say I died. Um, mm-hmm. Or I'm very lucky, or I'm not divisive enough to to have a bad in bad gig, yeah. uh, which which probably means I will never smash it as well. To be fair, I'd, I mean, I, from my point of view, have a gig with you a few times. I would certainly, and this is probably something that some some comedians would hate this label. I think, but I would certainly consider you as a, a re, like a reassuringly safe pair of hands. Yes. You know, I know that if you're going to go on, your your performance level is going to be on par with stuff I've seen you do before. I've never seen you sort of falter, um, and and you're a good solid performer. Yes. Whereas, like you said, and maybe because you don't necessarily have that style, that's either because it's quite a familiar style. It's like you say, it's an observational kind of. Yeah. You know, you're a straight white middle aged guy doing uh, observational comedy. Absolutely, it's it's not controversial, <laughs> is it, mate? You know exactly. And and, exactly. I, and I don't particularly go down very controversial routes uh, yeah. though i had one gig where someone did find what i said highly controversial but i'm not i'm still not convinced that was me um but you know i, I talk about stuff that i guess like yourself you know it's it's kind of makes people giggle if they're a little bit conservative you know i might yeah. say the odd rude word but but i think it, because it comes from a place of hey this is just a straight middle-aged white guy it's it's not that controversial. It just sometimes you know it it, it will sound more dramatic than it is because ninety nine percent of what I do is super safe, you know, tea time comedy. Um, so yeah, so no, I, I agree with you, and and, and I'm quite comfortable with safe pair of hands. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, am I? Whereas I think a lot of acts, if, if I if I described a lot of other acts as that, they might see that as either patronizing or or like they've underwhelmed or something like that and, yeah. I don't, and it's not meant as anything other than a compliment no know? and, and, and yeah. I, I, I no i would absolutely take it as that um mm. you know it would yeah safe pair of hands professional reliable mm. all of that stuff are important to me um it means i, I will never break it big because you've got to be different and I I don't think I have a particularly unique voice and what's what's interesting is when you start in comedy you have no idea what anybody else is talking about and everything you come up with you think oh my god that's brilliant how well observed and then you go to an open mic night and see seven other people do pretty much the same thing um yeah. I'm kind of in that category <laughs> you know I'm unlikely yeah, to talk about suppose... something new <laughs> you know? yeah but then you I suppose as well as that the, there are diff, there are various points of difference, aren't there? There's there's your material, there's your delivery, there's your whole persona. Yeah. There's for some people, there's their look, there's whatever. Um, and I think that that it is difficult if you're doing 
relatively safe material that like you say you're not an edge lord you're not someone who's going to go out and suddenly start talking about you wouldn't you wouldn't have been someone who did a, a captain tom joke no. the week after he died if there was gigs no. you wouldn't you're not that sort of person no. um i might have thrown one in as an ad lib but i wouldn't necessarily have written one um but i think that that means that if there's a lot of people doing that then you have to separate yourself with your performance and that's where the safe pair of hands comes in mm-hmm. because other people can have a similar train of thought about a similar joke structure or a similar thing to joke about. If they can't deliver it on a stage confidently, then, you know, it's what's the point, yeah. you know? So I think I was talking to, um, as you know, in my day job, I work with Kerry Robinson mm. and I was talking to her today cause she's this evening doing, um, uh, she, Frog and Bucket. yeah, she didn't beat the frog. Um, she, yeah. yeah doing, doing beat the frog. Um, and you know, she was talking about, we were just discussing her set and what she's going to put in it or whatever. And, and uh, we, we discussed a, a new, she was, she was struggling with a, like a way of packaging a particular idea she wanted to have. And we just threw some ideas back and forth and she went, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use that. Uh, that it will either, if I use that, it will either, you know, go down really well or I'll get gonged off basically and eliminated from the competition. And I just, and my thing with that was, the joke was good enough that if you if you sell it well enough, they'll buy it. Is mm. the thing, and I think that's what you do really well as an mm. act is that that thing of comfort. As soon as you're on stage and you've opened, and I, I suppose I probably put myself in a similar place and a few others of if you can look like you belong on stage before you've said anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you just look comfortable in that in that environment then quite often half the room will already relax into your performance before you've even said anything. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. And, and that is definitely something I learned from the day job, you know. And is that natural to you to do that? Or I don't that, know because I've been doing it, it so long. So I started training 20 years ago, mm. um, doing sort of technical classroom stuff, and then it got bigger. Um, and then I started getting invited to speak at conferences. So you know, the, the conference that I did, the virtual version of last last week, is normally at the XL. Mm. So it's huge. It's huge, yeah. Um, and, you know, depending on Do you have I'm, one of those funny little mics that are on the side of your head? Oh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've had those. Yeah, yeah. I've done a gig with one of those ones as well. Um, it's really oh. weird because you, you're like, what do I do with my hands? That's bizarre. It's a bit Bill Bailey, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Nice. very weird. Yeah, so I've done all that and I've done the roving mic and I've, you know, I've been working with, you know, real, real industry people. I tend to chair more sessions for them nowadays, so yeah. I tend to be the MC basically, nice. uh, yeah. which, which is a lovely gig um, because I'll be brutally honest, the reason I speak at conferences is because you get a speaker ticket. So you get a free ticket and backstage, uh, which means you get free nice. biscuits. Amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, these conferences, they're, they're not cheap, as, as you, I'm sure you know. Um, so it's worth doing. But it's even more worth doing if you're chairing a session because I don't even have to write anything. Yeah. Uh, I basically have to make people feel welcome, make sure the speaker knows what they're doing, make sure they don't trip over their slides, and then thank everyone for coming. It's it's an absolute dream gig, um, and it, and it struck me when I when I started to run my own nights and I was emceeing more than I was doing sets. I was like, oh wow, this is really two worlds colliding now. This this is mm. really interesting, you know. I, I, my role has now shifted. Um, and, and that's where I think, and, and you are definitely in the same boat as me with this, that's where that safe pair of hands really comes into mm. its own because we can do so much with an audience that means 
as long as an act is competent, they should be all right. You know, if they're, if yeah. they're brilliant, they'll smash it, but they'll smash it regardless. If they're terrible, they're going to die and, it, and there's nothing you can do. But if they're in that middle ground where actually they're competent, they are going to have a better or worse gig depending on what we do for them. And I love that. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. You know, my little gig in Belper, seeing act after act after act doing what I considered the best set I've ever seen them doing and knowing that I must have had a part in that because mm. I'm the difference. You know, that's that's mm. a wonderful feeling. Yeah, I mean, so emceeing for me has been a real... Because I started off emceeing open mic nights of little pubs and, you know, places that I knew or whatever, and then moving to either sort of paid charity nights with you know, relatively high-profile acts um, in terms of on the local circuit um, and stuff like that. I think I've I've sort of learned on the job um, from just doing slices of my sta- my normal set mm-hmm. in between each act or at the start of the night to warm them up to really embracing that element of crowd work with the a, a bit more of a bit more than you know what's your name where you're from what do you do but yeah. actually having proper conversations yeah and, and trying and, and now that i run regular nights one thing i realized i'd fallen into the trap of was not making a note of what bits of my material i've done <laughs> yep. the month before or yep. whatever um so uh, but at the last <laughs> the last gig i i did um, before lockdown actually there was a lady called karen in the audience and my wife is called karen and uh, we were talking about um whether she was a, a moaner or a, a complainer because of this whole karen yeah, name, name thing yeah. on social media um i just said the social media like a proper mid 40 year old on social media um, on the facebook uh, yeah on the facebooks and the twit twits and all that whatever it is um but her husband was sat next to her and he was he gave me a look as if to go yeah she does she fucking moans sort of thing um and i and i actually said to her what's the what's the worst thing you've ever complained about who really really got to you and she was like oh, i don't know i don't know and i made her she was coming to the next gig she promised she was coming to the next gig so i made i gave her homework which was when you come to the next gig i want to hear about or you know and uh and i made a note of it and stuff like that and it was just that sort of thing of i suddenly i came away from that gig thinking a it had been a really good gig and just thinking actually if i went back a year and a half when i started emceeing i wouldn't have had the balls to start that conversation let alone take it where it went i was wearing a black lives matter t-shirt mm-hmm. um and at one point was just shouting at her saying does this offend you karen does this t-shirt offend you? <laughs> and her husband was in tears laughing at her. um and i just wouldn't have had the balls to be that off script if you like yeah. you know a year and a half ago and i but i love that feeling like you say of of oh well, let's go down because mcn gives you a bit of freedom i think to sometimes just go down a path that it's completely different. Yeah, from where it, it does, and and I think you need to be in a very different mindset, and and this is something that that, that um, I've spotted, and and MCs I like aren't trying to take any limelight. That in fact mm-hmm. they're doing the reverse. They're trying to shine as much on the acts as possible by doing everything they can, which in one way really takes the pressure off because as long as I'm nice and as long as my punters are happy and sat down and listening and all the, all the good stuff. Mm. I don't have to be funny is one side Mm. of it, which is so liberating because then that frees you up to say things off the cuff, Mm. which in my experience always go down better. If the audience is pretty confident that you've just made that up, 
you get yeah. so much kudos for it, and therefore yeah, so. they laugh more because they're like, oh, my God, yes, he does look like such and such. That's right. Mm. Oh, that thing did happen today, and now it's somehow relatable to what we're all doing together. I think you get a lot of respect for that, but you only get to that place if you are totally confident with if something comes out of my mouth and it's funny, that's great. And if not, it will just be pleasant and the mood will be nice and, and we'll all have a yeah. good evening together. I think if you can get to that point, because I, I was the same when I first started, my my first three gigs that I emceed were my set split into thirds, basically, uh, with a yeah. bit of a hello, how are you? Um, but then by my yeah. fifth gig, I, I did one gig. Uh, it, was, it was on home turf where I did zero material. All I did all night was admin. And it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't explain how that yeah. works. It was like I did a register at the beginning. Oh, and there was it's, like it's, people coming back late. Was yeah. like, right, you'll no, hang no, you don't sit there. You're in the wrong seat. Get back in the right seat. If you're gonna come in late, you need to know your place. And all of this stuff and you know, selling tickets in the interval yeah. was funny. And it was just like I had no idea how I did this, but somehow it, I started the night with a clipboard and that became the prop for the night and I just became this admin Nazi for the evening. And it was, it was really, really funny and it, but it was genuinely funny. You know, it wasn't material. Yeah. 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 I like that. And it's good. That's the thing is if you get to that level, if you get to, especially and what's nice is when you get, if you get your regulars in, you do, you know, when you run a monthly night or whatever, you do get people Mm. who come back every week Mm. or every month. And that's great because you can have a conversation with them and draw the audience that weren't yeah. there into that conversation and what have you. And, and it feels then like, um, like a, a proper sort of, it's, it's more than just a performance. It's like a, yeah, a, a kind of a, a warm experience without being too cheesy. About uh, it. No, you're um, absolutely right. It becomes what have like you missed most about gigging? What have I missed most? Uh, hanging out with awesome people, was, mm-hmm. you know, whether I'm performing or not, um, just, being at gigs, feeling the vibe, chatting with people, um, especially just uh, I love talking to people about material. It, it just fascinates me. The, the mechanics of comedy fascinate me. Mm. Um, and just hearing someone say something, but knowing them well enough that I can and then say, you know, if you said that instead of that, it might work a little bit better. And then getting the Facebook message three days later that they've done another gig and they're like, yeah, you were right. I said this and it worked much better. And and mm. going, I don't know why that is, but it, it just felt like the right word to say. <laughs> you know, there's all those sort of weird, you know, like words with consonants are funny and all of that sort of mm. stuff that mm. you just pick up. Because um, although I've only been performing a, a couple of years, I've been a huge comedy fan all of my life. And actually, weirdly, my dad was a performer when I was a kid. He was your, what, what was known affectionately in those days as a turn. Um, mm. He used to do the clubs and stuff. So a lot of it must have just kind of sunk in without me consciously being aware of it. But I'll quite often hear a line and go, change that word for that word and try that. And then you go, yeah, that's it. That's that's the word. That's the word. And I love all that. Love that. Um, and just hanging out with people, discovering new acts, you know, seeing people who are really early in their career and watching mm. them and going... It's not there yet, but it could be. And then seeing mm. them a couple of months later and going, yep, knew it. <laughs> mm. You know, that's that's wonderful. Love that. 
And what's so you know we're now we're on the twenty second of February. We're recording this. I'm going to put it out pretty quickly. But so um, Boris has done the big announcement today. It's looking like a, roughly a three months time. We'll yeah. we'll have the opportunity for gigs back into the pubs and bars. Um, what's what's your your future then? Have you got a have you got a plan? Are you just going to carry on doing what you were doing? Uh, Is it going to be Anthony's the promoter or both or, or what? I think. I think more of the promotion. Um, mm-hmm. So Tommy and I have been talking about this, you know, what, what should we do coming out of, out of this situation? And I think I, think I want to go for quality over quantity um, mm-hmm. because certainly summer, I think, was probably when I felt it and then I got ill, as a, you know, possibly as a result of it. Um, it was getting to the point where it was just hard work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, anybody who doesn't run gigs will have no understanding of just how much work and how much pressure you put yourself mm-hmm. under to make that gig as perfect as possible. And then someone drops out, so then you have to find someone else. But it can't be anybody. You've got to pick the right act. And yeah, the yeah, whole stress yeah. of the day leading up to it, you know, is everybody going to turn up on time? Is everyone going to find a way? Are punters going to turn up? Is the equipment going to work? Can I get it all set up? Is it all sounding perfect? Do the lights work? All of this, it's it's a lot of work, and it's it's stressful in a nice way when you're enjoying it. But when you're doing it too much, it just becomes a, a conveyor belt of set a gig up. Yeah. Bring it back down again. Move Don't to the next. Chance to reflect and enjoy. No, it. it's yeah. like being in a travelling circus if you're not careful. Um, so I think this time around, I want to do. I want to do brilliant gigs that you know we, we've. I've always focused on those three things: the acts have a great time, the punters have a great time, and the venue gets something out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it I only want to do gigs where I fulfil all three of those things. Mm-hmm. So probably fewer of them. Hopefully bigger. Um, as you said earlier, you know, I think some of the acts that, that came down and, and gigged for me in, in the summer, I would hope we built a little bit of loyalty with them. So mm-hmm. when, when gigs are coming up, I would hope they would they'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll gig for you because I know it'll be a good gig. Yeah. Um, so I want to do that. And, you know, I don't want to do it because I want to, I want to be the biggest promoter in town or any of that rubbish because there's plenty of bigger and better promoters near where I live. Mm-hmm. I just want to, fulfill a role where I'm feeling proud of what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to do that, I, I need to be pushing it a little bit more. I need to be booking bigger venues, bigger acts, bigger budgets, um, and you know, making, making sure it's the best it can be. And then satisfying the rest of it by just going to watch gigs which you nice. know seems really a logical thing to do doesn't it if you if you really enjoy comedy why don't you just go and watch a few gigs why do you have mm. to run them are you a control freak <laughs> you know just just go along totally and enjoy that. it yeah i get that i get that and that's something i need to do more is, is actually just go and enjoy comedy yeah so anyway right it's been a great chat um i think we've covered a lot of ground um and and i'm it's one thing it's made me realise is that we need to get together because it's been bloody ages. Um, but the thing um, is, I moved house at Christmas, and the house yeah. I've got has got a bar in the garden. Mm-hmm. In fact, the garden <laughs> is the bar basically. <laughs> uh, it's oh, like yeah. 
wait till you see it, mate. <laughs> Come I've, not down. Had, I've not had an alcoholic drink in 2021 yet. Wow, of choice just can't be asked. <laughs> no, no, I hate drinking yeah. on my own at home. It's yeah, great. I'm not. I'm not a fan of it. I've started brewing yeah. beer though, so if you like nice. IPA, come come down. Right, we'll, we'll make can. a we'll make a date of that. Yeah. Um, I do have one final question, which mm-hmm. is the the final question I ask everyone on this podcast. Um, and I'm pretty certain I know the answer with you anyway. Um, but um, <clears throat> if uh, if I could wave a magic wand and take away your imposter syndrome um, and the the associated anxiety for good guaranteed never coming back uh, but the price was that you had to give up being involved with the comedy industry either as a performer or a promoter would you take that deal no no i didn't even have to think about it did you no um honestly mate um i know i came to it late but it it was such a revelation um you know i'm, I'm this is probably this is probably less unusual than i think it is but for a performer i'm a massive introvert so if I'm not performing, I'm not I'm not social. I'm not a sociable mm. person. So I don't have a massive circle of friends. You know, outside of the comedy world, I could probably count the number of true friends on one hand easily. And what I found mm. was in a matter of weeks, I was getting to know people that, that I felt like were more of a friend than people I'd known all my life. And I don't know what that is. Mm. I don't know whether it's a camaraderie thing or, or what your is. tribe. Is a, yeah. I think that's a wanky it. phrase, but it works. <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. And, and I, you know, I, mm. I almost, almost without exception. Now, if, if I need a friend to turn to, it's probably going to be a comedian. Wicked. That's Which really is great, good. Isn't it? It's lovely. Mm, that's superb. It's a lovely note to end on as well. So, Anthony, what's the name of your promotions company? Let everyone know. We are Rock Central Promotions. You can find us at rockcentral.co.uk. The website is looking a little bit sparse at the moment, but hopefully we'll have some things May, June, July, August, until whatever happens next. Nice one. So there you go. That was our returning episode, episode 18. Um, And I think you'll agree it was a nice, gentle opener to this coming series. Um, Next week, probably not so much. Episode isn't recorded yet, but I will be speaking with someone at great length about some serious addiction issues and their new life post-addiction as a a comedian. And uh, I think it's going to be quite a heavy episode but also hopefully a really interesting one so join us next week for that take care cheers sparks of madness is hosted by graham rayner and is a gag and bone man comedy production